Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. The other day, I spoke with Dan Friedman. He's the CEO of a company called Carbon Engineering. Maybe we could start with what's happening out in Texas. <laughs> like there's actually some, somebody's building something big in Texas and you're mixed up with it in a good way, right? Tell me what's happening in Texas. Yes, and things where. in Texas happen big. That's the good part about Texas. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are building... Uh, well, our partner is building our first commercial scale plant. Just broke ground about a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And uh, all the big pieces of equipment are under order, which is, you know, quite substantial. We got all our permits. Took about a year. And the road's being put in place. It's just a big bunch of desert with some shrubs. And uh, yeah, construction has, has started. Construction has started on a billion-dollar project that will be by far the biggest plant ever built to suck carbon dioxide directly out of the atmosphere. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? Carbon engineering is at the frontier of an infant industry called direct air capture, as in directly capturing carbon dioxide from the air. Direct air capture won't be able to solve climate change on its own. There's no way we could capture anywhere near enough carbon to do that. But it might help at the margin, pulling hundreds of millions of tons of carbon out of the atmosphere every year to buy us some time as industries decarbonize over the next few decades. To get there, the direct air capture industry needs to solve a bunch of problems, including how to bring the price of direct air capture way down, and also how to convince companies and governments to pay for sucking carbon out of the air. I talked about both of those problems with Dan, but to start, we talked about what exactly he's building out in the Texas desert. Let's say it's two years from now, and you and I drive out to this spot in the middle of Texas, and 
you've just turned it on. The thing is working. What's actually going to be happening? Well, first of all, we get there. What do we see? What's it look like? Okay, so you know when when you build any direct air capture facility, you've got to process a lot of air. So the main thing you see in all of them is what's what we call an air contactor, which is a fancy name for a huge box with a huge fan that's drawing air through okay. the contents of the box. So it's a giant box fan, like the one I have in my living room, but way bigger. How big? A uh, couple of stories. A couple of stories, okay. So, you know, it looks like a, it looks like a small a small apartment, you know, quite a small apartment, but it's still a couple of stories okay. and, uh, you know, the width of a narrow house. Okay. The fan is right on the roof of it. Okay. So okay. the fan turns on and air is drawn in from the sides and goes up the top. So you would see about 70 of those in two years when this is done, lined up in rows. So Dan is saying there would be 70 of these apartment-sized fan buildings, like like a little subdivision out there in the desert. Uh, the fans suck in the air, and then they have this liquid that binds to the carbon dioxide. And one of the things I'd heard Dan talk about in other interviews is that the chemistry, this part of removing carbon from the air, is actually pretty straightforward. But what's hard is removing it efficiently because of how little carbon dioxide is in the air. Like, carbon dioxide is way less than 1% of the atmosphere. It's very, very tiny, and that's what makes it so hard because you you have to touch so much air to get at the little tiny, you know, mining a tiny bit amount from from the air. And traditionally, you know, people have been extracting carbon dioxide from the air for a long time. If, if you recall the Apollo 13 movie, they were suffocating from, from breathing their own carbon dioxide. And in a couple of hours, they built a, a... And just to be clear, that's the Houston, we've got a problem. Yes. Their problem was that there was too much carbon dioxide in their, in their space capsule. Yeah, their, their direct air capture machine in there, the little one, wasn't working. So they were suffocating in their own... So they built one and they scrubbed it out. So the hard part, and that's what's unique about what we're doing, the hard part is to pull a million tons of carbon dioxide out of the air. So it's all about how much we have to do. It's not about doing it. The doing is not that hard, but doing a lot of it is incredibly challenging. So it's a scaling problem. It's coming up with a process that will scale and that won't use so much energy and materials that it becomes useless, right? So we need to be net negative, not net positive. So the challenge is, you know, is how much power do you use doing this and and how much steel do you use to build these these air contactors and so on? And and how do you scale that smartly so in the end you are net negative, which is what the business is all about. How long do you have to run the plant, do you estimate, before it will capture all of the carbon that was emitted to build the plant and to build all of the materials in the plant? Uh, I don't have that figure, but it's uh, because it depends who the final contractors are and their footprints and so on. It's it's not, similar to electric cars. It's not significant. It's a few months and they're a year for sure. So, okay. Uh, you get the plant up and running. You're, you're sucking carbon dioxide out of the air. So far, so good. But now uh, you've got tons of carbon dioxide and you have to do something with it, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's the, the hard part that everyone forgets. What we do is we hand it to one, the world's expert on how to deal with carbon dioxide, Occidental, our partner, 
uh, who has you know been burying carbon dioxide for a lot of years. To be clear, that's Occidental Petroleum, the, the big oil company. Yes. Yeah. They are the companies that understand how to handle carbon dioxide. So what they do is they bury that carbon dioxide safely underground according to the U.S. government regulations so that it's permanently stored, meaning that it's guaranteed for at least 100 years to be underground. So Occidental is, uh, they're an investor in carbon engineering. They're on the board, right? And they're, they are the ones building this biggest in the world by far direct air capture plants, right? They're the one paying for it. Yes. Is that, is that yes. correct? Yeah. Well, why is, why is Occidental Petroleum doing this? Why are they paying all this money? They're the ones spending a billion dollars to do it, right? They were trying to figure out how to become net zero, meaning net zero in their own production, net zero in everything they subcontract and buy, and net zero in what their customers like you and I would burn, so all the emissions. And they decided to use this to decarbonize themselves and then they said, whoa, we can offer this as a solution for other people that don't know how to do this to decarb- for them to decarbonize, like airlines. Uh-huh. Uh, it, was a period, it took a period of years to develop uh, to the point where it is now. And uh, so they went from being a partner to being a customer to also being a part owner and then to being a deployment partner of, of all this thing. And they, they're trying to make this their next business after oil is, is done. Uh, basically, basically selling selling carbon removal as yeah. a service. Let me ask you a question. You said in there that Occidental wants to be net zero. Why do they want to be net zero? And like in particular, given that you know they have a obligation to their shareholders to maximize profits. Like, why are they spending a billion dollars to the extent it's for them to be net zero? Like, why is that a sensible thing for them to do? You know, that kind of gets to the heart of this whole problem. You know, it's not just Occidental. Microsoft wants to be net zero. Amazon wants to be net zero. Air travel wants to be net zero. Most of 90-odd percent of the world GDP has set a target to be net zero. So I think everybody's realizing, Occidental included, that in order to survive in the long term, we need to get to net zero. So at some point, I think society is going to say, well, if you're not net zero, you're not in business. So the sort of the financial case for getting to net zero is the assumption that policy governments will basically force companies to be net zero. Like that's the or customers or customers, right? Right. They will say we will only do business uh, with a with a net zero right. uh, supply. Yeah. You know, I think it goes deeper in terms of their management team that they're just committed to kind of lead the whole uh, oil sector to to get there, just recognizing that this has to has to happen. And in, in the end, it's good for shareholders because if you keep your head in the sand, then eventually you, people don't buy from you one way or another. Yeah. I mean, I will say, given the history of oil companies' behavior with respect to climate change, I'm wary of their involvement at some level. Like, just just based on the fact that they knew that emissions were driving climate change and they obfuscated that fact. I'm not not occidental specifically, but that was clearly a widespread practice in the industry and so it makes me somewhat wary of their involvement now. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't comment on that. All I can tell you is that when you scour the planet to find 
somebody that can deal with a megaton a year coming out of one plant and then a thousand megatons a year coming out of a thousand plants, only the oil companies can do that, for better or worse. Huh. You mean in terms of how do you stick it back in the ground? Yeah. They're the only ones who know at vast scale how to stick carbon dioxide back in the ground. Yeah, and understand the underground. They've been mapping the underground for 50 years. They understand any country yeah. you go to, the oil companies, the only people that understand what's what's under there, how to operate under there, how to keep it under there, not have it leak out. If you want to do this at scale, uh, you've got to go to the world's experts. And the world experts that have been looking at what goes underground with the geology because of the oil business are the oil companies. There's nobody else. Yeah. No, it is interesting the way this is you're basically running the oil business in reverse, right? For exactly. 100 plus years, they have been digging hydrocarbons out of the ground. Uh, and then we've been burning them and they've been going, the carbon dioxide has been going into the atmosphere. And now it's like, okay, let's just, it's like on the, it's like on my power drill at home. You know, you push the button one way and it drills in and then and you push it the out. other way and it drills out, right? That's like exactly we, yeah, it. We, we yeah. got to, I think this, the, the saying goes, we got to put it back where it came from. Yeah. And, you know, anything else is mucking around with the natural system. And I don't know what the output of that would be, but this is pretty straightforward. We just yeah. put it back, bring the carbon back down, and everything should return to normal. Let me ask one more thing, just on the oil company thing, and then we'll leave it. There's basically a concern that direct air capture will act as a fig leaf to allow for even more emissions, right? And it will slow the energy transition that we need. Do you buy that? No, you know, whoever says that just hasn't done the math. Yeah. This is not going to be an excuse for not doing anything else. We already know from very well done studies that there's only so much we can do to avoid emissions. In the end, you're left with, depends who you talk to, you're left with somewhere between 10 and 20% that you just cannot avoid. Uh-huh. And that's where direct air capture comes in. It's the last bit of garbage that you can't recycle. You can't do anything about it. And you got to take it out. And that problem alone is Im an immense challenge. To think that we could do 10 times that and have everybody go on in life, it, 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 you, people just haven't done the math. It's just, just not possible. And then the other key thing is that if we stop today and don't emit another carbon molecule into the air, we've already emitted enough that we're going to crash through 1.5 at some point. 1.5 degrees of warming. 1.5 degrees. Because it's cumulative. And we, yeah. like you just said, we just spent the last 100 years burning oil and coal. So, you know, at some point beyond 2050, we want to we wanna bring stuff back down. In other words, we don't just need to stop emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We need to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide that is already out there in the atmosphere. In a minute, the big problem with direct air capture Where's the money going to come from? You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. 
Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, To-do lists. Uh, this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. <laughs> Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. Last year, Congress passed and the president signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act, an act that, confusingly, did not do much to reduce inflation, but did do a lot for direct air capture. Specifically, it said that the federal government will use tax credits to basically pay companies to suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. If we prove to them that we have captured a ton of CO2 from the air and we've buried it up to their requirements, they write you a check for $180. And $180 per ton. Per ton. Uh, so that's $180 million per million tons. And how much, this, this big plant that you and Occidental are building in Texas, how much does that pull out of the air per year? The first plant, half a million tons. So that, that'd be like $90 million a year from the U.S. government. And, you know, that, the plant would not have happened without the IRA. Uh-huh. This wouldn't have taken off in any kind of speed without the IRA. You, you just couldn't do it without something like that. So if $180 per ton is the carrot, what, what, is, what is the cost to you per ton on your plant? That is uh, confidential, but it's significantly over that today. It's more. Yeah. And, and so, so to be a real viable business, there needs to be some combination of getting more than $180 a ton and or bringing your costs down a lot. Yeah, but you've put your finger on it. We need to bring the cost of production down over time by improving the technology and making it more and more efficient. And that's really the job of carbon engineering. That, that's, what, that's what we do for a living. Can you give me a specific example of some, some detail, some part of the process 
either that you have made cheaper or solved? Yeah, I think the easiest example and the one we've worked the most on is, hey, let's get those 70 things down to 50. 70 units? Yeah, the 70 units. Let's make the way the whole thing is configured and the way the fan runs and, and so on, and the, one, the way we place it to the prevailing wind, let's make that more efficient so the next plant has 50, not 70. Uh-huh. You save yourself a pile of steel. You save yourself a pile of sorbent. You use less electricity. Uh, it becomes more efficient. I mean, that's a, that's a way of saying let's pull out more carbon with every thing, right? With every spin of the fan, let's right. get more carbon right. out of the atmosphere. And is there an example of how you have done that already? I mean, presumably... That is the endless quest for improved efficiency. Is there just one little example you can give of a way you have improved efficiency so far? So inside what we call the air contactor, where the air is flowing through, um, in our case, the reaction is from a very thin film. That film is exposed to the air and reacts with the carbon. So if we can pack a honeycomb structure in it, we got more surface that the air is going through. Wait, is that one? Is that one you've done already? Yes. Have you already turned it into a honeycomb? Yes, we, we well, it's not a honeycomb, but yeah, we 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 have been improving uh, what we call the fill of the air contact or what's inside it for many years, and then in the last year before we went to final production, we made our own custom fill, what we call the CE one, and um, it was twenty percent better, and we're now uh, working on the second fill not going to the into the DAC, the director capture plant we just talked about, but it'll go into the next one. And that might be another 20%. We, and we might be down to 55, 56 air contactors once we do that. What else should we talk about? <laughs> so, you know, we know we have to do this. And right now, our partner is selling these credits. They're available. You, we can go buy them today. But it's not really happening. I mean, there's a few sales going on, but it's not really happening. And if it was really happening, we'd probably be building four plants, not one plant. Yeah. Uh, and that's the real challenge that bothers me. How do we make this happen? We all know we have to do it. But if you and I do it and nobody else does it, we just spend a lot of money and accomplish nothing. We need everybody to do it at the same time kind of yeah. thing. But it's a weird product, right? Like you're, yes. selling, you're selling a thing that is like, the absence of a thing globally, right? Like you're selling a weird product. Nobody in the absence of policy really, well, nobody in the absence of policy or very different customer demand than we're seeing now has to buy That's your product. Like nobody, nobody, nobody. And so it, people aren't going to do it out of the goodness of their hearts, right? Like they're just not gonna, they're not even going to do it for marketing at any meaningful scale. So like, I have to think the only way it's going to work is with, way stronger policy levers, be they carrots or sticks. Yeah, that's the key thing we need to uh, to make this happen at the scale we need it, yeah. What really has to happen for it to work at scale? Like, what is the policy you need for this industry to actually be a thing? You know, where the U.S. is once again taking the lead is that governments are one of the largest polluters in the world, typically about 30% of the of the carbon dioxide problem in a country comes from the government operations, the military in particular. Uh, so the U.S. is pushing policy right now, compelling government to clean up after itself and buy. So to the extent that governments begin to buy, that, that would be amazing. So there are many different ways 
in which we can, we can do this. You know, we we already cleaned up our garbage, used to flow down the streets and cause plagues. We then cleaned up our rivers, and now we got to clean up the air. Yeah, it's interesting. Thinking of this like a basic hygiene problem, right? Like, like water quality. Water quality is an amazing one, right? If you go back 150 years, the advent of modern sewage systems, essentially, was like one of the great public health breakthroughs in the history right. of the world, really. And and thinking of this in those terms is interesting, right? There was a sort of collective action problem. It was a kind of early government doing something other than fighting wars. Like this reminds me a little bit of that when you put it that way, right? This is like a global version of sewage collection. Yes. Uh, with similar and, states. You know, the, the hard part about this one is, you know, when, when the sewer is running down the street or, or the river, I can see it's in my backyard. And unfortunately, climate is not in my backyard or it's in everybody's backyard. Yeah. So it's harder, but, you know, yeah, there's a collective action problem here, right? Like if right. London cleans up its sewage, London is better off. Right. But if London is the only one taking carbon out of the atmosphere, nobody's going to be better off. That's a, it makes it a much yeah. harder problem. Yeah. But but that's it's just, you know, when when we first cleaned up the sewers, it was really your neighborhood. When we cleaned up the rivers, it was quite a big neighborhood and now it's the whole planet. <laughs> we got to expand to the whole planet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry, Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal 
rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, we're going to do a lightning round now. It's going to be way more all over the place than the rest of the interview, but it's going to be fun. Okay. (laughs) Is it correct that you got a patent in 1983 for an electric field detector? Oh, myself. (laughs) Yes, I did. Yes. Was there anything you learned inventing that electric field detector in the process of inventing it or patenting it or whatever that was helpful to you when you went to work in industry? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you're sitting in engineering school, you think the problem is solving the technical problem. When you invent something, you realize the problem is getting it to market. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Same problem you have now. Same problem you have now. Yes. What's one thing I should do if I go to Chile, where you grew up? Oh, go skiing. I'm a skier. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. If I want to go skiing in August? That's the place to go. uh, I should go to Chile. Yeah, that's the best place to go. What's one thing I should do if I go to British Columbia, where you live and work now? Oh, you should also come skiing here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a boring guy. Uh, You know, this is paradise. Yeah. If I want to ski in January, I go to BC. If I want to ski in August, I'll go to Chile. That's right. When you were the CEO of an aerospace company, you started writing books on the side and not like typical CEO type books, right? Tell, Tell me about those books. You know, I studied physics, engineering physics in school and, uh, when we when we worked with NASA for years, one of the other things we did with we also built the robotic arm on the shuttle. Uh huh. On the space shuttle, the U.S. space shuttle. On the space shuttle. Yeah. So we built a robotic arm. It's called the Canada Arm One. Was on the shuttle. The shuttle arm uh, was instrumental in fixing the Hubble uh-huh. telescope. So I interacted directly with the Hubble team and kind of kept track of all the advances in cosmology. And I came to the realization that after having left school 30-odd years, we still had a lot of questions to, uh, to answer. And I had seen some allusion to those questions in, in the Jewish literature related to my religion. And uh, you know, when I had a bit of time, I went to work on whether one could draw something from each side to get, a, get to a better answer of what, what all the stuff looks like. So... Didn't intend to do much except a little bit of research. And I talked to a few people and they said, well, you should really write this up. And about four or five, six books later, I'm still doing that, but I've taken a pause in the last year. And I mean, the basic theme is reconciling the Old Testament of the Bible with modern cosmology. Is that the basic project? Yeah, in the sense that we're both looking at the same world. So we, we, need, to be de- we need to be describing it the same because we know it's real out there. And if we do that, then we can go peel back to to how well, how each of those bodies of knowledge gets to that answer, and and see if we can learn about how it all came came to happen, and and put those things together. If everything goes well, going back to carbon engineering, if everything goes well, what's a problem you'll be trying to solve in say five years? How to build dozens of plants a month, or not build them in a month, but have them come out of the production line. Yeah. So start a dozen and finish a dozen two years later. And then the next month, start another dozen and finish a dozen. In that universe, uh, direct air capture is becoming a massive industry. It's these giant 
industrial direct air capture plants are springing up every month, every week all around the world. That's that's what you're hoping for. And you're hoping that'll happen in five years. Like, is that possible? Like, that seems like a lot from one. Um, yeah, it, it will look it will look like a bit like the solar farms do, right? Yeah. They, they're springing out everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, all the solar panels. They'll uh-huh. just have little bigger buildings with fans on top and uh, and capturing carbon probably in the same places because we need the solar power to power them and, and so on. Right. But it's exactly what it will look like and we will have to have them springing up everywhere to, to clean this carbon problem out. Dan Friedman is the CEO of Carbon Engineering. Today's show was produced by Edith Russolo. It was edited by Sarah Nix and Robert Smith and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. I'm Jacob Goldstein. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein, or you can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. We'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. How do you create present and future value? As a leading provider of specialized finance operations and technology advisory services for Fortune 500 companies, emerging growth market leaders, and private equity sponsors, cross-country consulting solves today's most pressing challenges and creates present and future enterprise value. With tailored, integrated solutions for accounting, risk, technology-enabled transformation, and transaction solutions, CrossCountry works as a strategic partner and collaborative part of your team. The future-ready business, insight and within reach. Go to crosscountry-consulting.com to learn more.